0: that i want to uh pick up where scott uh left over on the scripture if you turn to isaiah 6 and we're going to go from there to uh, another chapter in isaiah in just a few moments but um that text that scott read isaiah 6 1 through 8 is usually used as uh, or is often used not usually but it's often used in ordination sermons when a minister is uh, a young man is being ordained to the ministry, uh, they'll often read this text because you see the vision of God that Isaiah has, the vision of heaven. He hears the cherubim uh, declaring, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God," uh, and that uh, that motivation, that encouragement to worship God and serve God, that recognition of who God is. And then at the end of it, you hear God saying, who will we send, who will go for us? And then Isaiah responds, those well-known words, here am I, send me. And in most ordination sermons, when this text is used, they stop there. They don't read the rest of the chapter, which often is a problem because, you know, if you want to really accurately and faithfully interpret Scripture, you really need to read Uh, Let me borrow the words of Paul Harvey. You need to read the rest of the story, okay? Finish the chapter or finish at least the verses that have to do with the text that you're reading. And Scott read a few other verses this morning after he read verse 8, Here am I, sin me. And then you look in verse 9, you see God respond. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So God says, you go, Isaiah, but they're not going to listen. They're not going to listen. You see, God knew that they would not listen and Isaiah Uh, I've been reading, and we're going to look at another verse in Isaiah in a minute, but I've been reading uh, this book, and and you know the focus of the book of Isaiah is primarily who is God. Who is God? I want to give you this a little extra here that uh, uh, in addition to the message, but just a little bit about the theme of this book. In in some ways, it's uh, a very complicated book because it is very long. You know Isaiah has 66 chapters in it. How many, how many books in the Bible? Okay. And if you it's divided into two sections. The first thirty-nine chapters have to do with the coming judgment, the condition of Israel, and, and then the last twenty-seven have to do with the remedy for the judgment that's coming on Israel and the coming of a Messiah, the coming of, of a Savior seven hundred years later. But how many books in the Old Testament? Thirty-nine that have to do with the condition of, of of man and our sinful nature and God's law and and then how many books in the New Testament? Twenty-seven that introduces us to the gospel and to the Messiah, the Savior and and the coming kingdom of God. See, uh, so it, isn't it interesting how it just it's laid out that way? and you see that comparison some people think that more than one person wrote isaiah and they divided it up into some say two parts some say three parts and and things like that you know okay i don't know i wasn't there and nobody else was there we really just read it and i don't want to take it for what it says and i'm going to say isaiah wrote it i'm going to leave it there uh but but what about the book itself you know there's some of the the uh uh, most famous messianic verses in the entire Bible are in the book of Isaiah. Um, the 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 declaration of a coming Messiah unto you, a, a son is given. You know those verses, Isaiah 7:14, and chapter nine, and others where he talks about a coming Messiah, a coming Savior. Um, well, here's the just a breakdown very quickly. The main theme of this book is a a Is a recognition of God and who he is and and his own glory. You see, God's greatest desire, surprisingly to a lot of people, God's greatest desire, get this, is not our salvation. That's earth-shattering to some people. But God's greatest desire is his own glory. You understand that? and we're going to talk about that that one is really the theme the holiness of God that I we'll do look at today but folks if we don't grasp the reality of the glory of God we'll never get the gospel we really won't because we have to understand who it is we're dealing with you see for the gospel to, uh, to mean anything to us so God desires to reveal his own glory and Isaiah is one of the books where it's done um, in, in ways you know Really, I think in some ways better than than the rest of the scripture, the glory of God revealed through the book of Isaiah. Isaiah defines everything by how it relates to God, everything by how it relates to God, the condition of the nation, the future of the people, everything is connected back to God and how it relates to God. Wouldn't it be great if in church again one day we could decide that we want to make sure that everything in the church has to be connected to how it relates to God? And forget all the other silliness that we often get wrapped up in. Uh, God's people find strength. The first point is that God's people find strength only as they rest in God's promises. God's people find strength through resting in the promises of god in other words i'm not going to look to political leaders for my strength i'm not going to look to the economy for my strength i'm not going to even look to good health or anything like that for my strength i find rest and i find strength in resting in the promises of god you know when god makes makes a promise god's the one person in all the universe that never breaks his promises you know our uh uh, that, that's something about our salvation Our salvation, the Bible says We're saved by grace through faith Not works Lest any man should boast, right? And, and our salvation really is based on a promise It's not based on any work that I can do Or any work that you can do It's based on the promise of the gospel Contained in the word of God So my salvation, my relationship with God at all In, in any uh, way is based on the promises of God i'm a christian i'm a born-again believer and i'm looking to a life of in eternity with god in christ in heaven one day and i can say that because he said that that god said that that's a promise and so i can rest in that correct you know i can be saved by grace through faith and through no work of my own and i can say that because the bible says that there's a promise there so i'm going to rest in god's promises The second point of Isaiah is that God's people will find refreshment only in the delight of his word. Um, I've I've preached many times, and that's not really what I want to do today, but just to to touch on it. But but I've preached many times on the idea that if I am not, as a believer, devoting most of my time to prayer and Bible study, I'll be a failure as a believer. Okay? The only way that I can grow in Christ is to commit myself to read and, and understand and, and grow in a knowledge of his word, Bible, and do that prayerfully. Prayer and Bible go together. We've done this many times. You've heard it many times from me. But folks, here it is. You cannot be a growing Christian without reading your Bible. It's just that simple. It really is. So God's people find refreshment. As they delight in the Word of God. You know, I can look at Fox News or CNN or any of those stations like that and I'm not going to find much refreshment. I'm going to find a bunch of discouragement. But I can go to the Word of God and it's good news, isn't it? It's good news. All right? Third thing is uh, that uh, uh, we find purpose in serving His cause. through our faithful devotion. In other words, I find purpose in life in serving the God of the Bible. Everything in life is connected back to him. My career, my education, my, my whatever, my plans for life, my family, it's all connected back to God. I'm going to brag on her a little bit, and she'll probably be mad at me after the service for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm so thankful that God led me to the wife that he led me to because somebody else could have said, well, I don't want to do this or go here or give up this or do this or whatever, but she's always been faithful to go right along with this idea of serving God as, as, our, as a family. And, and I'll say this, parents and grandparents are here today, involve your family in your service of god involve your children my son's sitting back there today my daughter's at a church uh, in florida today where they're beginning a ministry she and her husband and we raised them and taught them Uh, we weren't perfect parents but we did do this we raised them and taught them to be involved in our ministry they were a part of it they're a part of it i remember taking christopher and amelia both uh to nursing homes when we would go i was a chaplain in a nursing home for a while and we would go and visit the patients there and they loved going to to the nursing home christopher used to help me serve the lord's supper in a nursing home when he was that big okay and uh, and we made them a part of it do that with your family make them a part of whatever it is that you're doing because our greatest cause is to serve god with a worthy devotion you want, you want to teach your family, make your family a part of the devotion of serving your God. And then uh, uh, there's an understanding in Isaiah that those who rebel, uh, those who rebel end in death, eternal death. You know, the last verses of the book of Isaiah talks about uh, a judgment. Now, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 66 very last chapter in the book I just want to show you something very quickly here Um, starting verse 24 look at these last verses let's go back to verse 22 chapter 66 Isaiah for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me says the Lord so shall your offspring and your name remain that's a promise okay to God's people for new moon to new moon and from sabbath to sabbath all flesh shall come to worship before me declares the Lord and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me for their worm shall not die their fire shall not be quenched and they shall uh, be an abhorrence to all flesh God saying where those who have rebelled against him Will end up. You know, Jesus quoted that text where worm doesn't die, okay, uh, and fire will not be quenched. Jesus quoted that text in the prophecy he shared about hell and what that's all about. And and there Isaiah ends that with a warning, He's saying, "You you as a believer, as a child of God, as as the people of God, serve God. But if you rebel, here's where you end up." You know, that's kind of tied into the gospel, isn't it? okay here's the problem as i look at isaiah and i look at these these really basic fundamental ideas of knowing who god is and and focusing on god and connecting family and and life and career and whatever back to god i realize that when i look at our society today and the church today especially i believe we're in a most dangerous time if not if not actually the most dangerous time in our history perhaps the most dangerous time in our history because we are developing a faith and get this we're developing a faith in a strange God who is not in the Bible and he's right in the church and we see it out in in the world outside the church let me show you a good example of it when a famous person in our society dies Look at the response of people, especially if you look at something like Facebook and you see people making comments all the time. Look at what they say. Oh, they're up in heaven now. They're with the Lord. They're with their lost family member, whatever, knowing nothing about the person's relationship with Jesus, knowing nothing about that, and we'll just make all of those statements because we have developed a faith today that doesn't require a relationship with the Savior. You know? I mean, Jesus often is left out completely. And if he's in there at all, it's just in some ways that he's going to bless us. It's not anything about him dying on the cross to save us from our sins. That message is pretty much gone. Yet that's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? That's the very heart of the gospel. And, and when, we, when we get to a point in our Christian faith where we can have Christianity without Jesus, we're no longer Christian. We're no longer Christian. We may be religious. And, but we're no longer Christian and, and you can hear some of these people the, the prosperity gospel people they'll mention Jesus they'll bring up his name and they'll call his name but folks the Jesus they're talking about is not the Jesus in the Bible I just I just wish that people would listen to these people with an open Bible and realize how they just mess things scripture up and the false doctrine that's often taught yet we are building a faith That is in a strange God, not in scripture, a God who is not holy and worthy of worship. You see, uh, actually worshiping the God of scripture, we don't do that anymore. You know, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that uh, to the glory of God, that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. Okay, we're all going to kneel before him. We're all going to confess that he's Lord to the glory of God. But right now we're not doing that. We're not doing that right now. We have a God who is not really holy. He's just there to meet my needs or to make me feel better about myself without actually changing me at all. Just make me feel better about me, Lord. Well, God never does that in scripture, okay? That's not what's there. God demands worship. God demands faithfulness. God is holy do you understand what the the word holy means when it refers to god you ask somebody what does the word holy mean they say well uh, that means good or or righteous or morally strong or morally good you know that really doesn't have anything to do with it that may be part of it but not really what it's about the word holy as it is described to god is a description of someone who is apart from separate from he's not like us you got that he is just really not like us at all at all he is beyond anything that we can imagine for ourselves you know when when we say when i say to you i love you and then god says he loves you when god says that it means something entirely different he sent his son to die on the cross to show how much he loves you okay When, when god when we say that god has power if i say that you have power that means one thing. When I say God has power and strength, God has so much power, he created the heavens and the earth. Completely different, okay? A whole different way of thinking. When I say that, that somebody is a, a good person, you know, I say, well, you know, old Joe down the street, he's just a good person. But then when I say that God is good, it, it means something different, doesn't it? It's just not the same. You see, so when I talk about God being holy, I'm talking about a God who is above us, beyond us. Separate from us He's not dependent on us He really is We think he is But he's not You know when, when I was called to preach It was not that God was calling me to help him out He was calling me To be something that blessed me To be a part of his mission And that's what he calls you to He's blessing you He's not asking you for help He do not need your help He wants to bless you By asking you to be a part Inviting you to be a part of the mission that he has. But we have developed a God today that is not holy and not worthy of worship. And be careful when you approach God and you approach the God of the Bible. We have a God uh, who is, is really sent to serve us and not the other way around. You want me to prove that? You watch any TV preacher and see how they, they talk about God. He's here to bless me, to give to me, to do for me. That's backwards. That's completely backwards. We were created for his glory, not the other way around. And we've got it in our mind that, that, you know, God's here for me. But it's not not right. I'm here for him. You got it? I, he made me for his glory. He called me to serve him, to, to do what he wants, to declare his word, to glorify him never it's not about me and, and you folks you know today in the world today that's just not very encouraging for people is well i don't care if it is or not the problem is if we're not glorifying god we have no relationship with him we're worshiping a false god that we've created in our own minds we have a, a society today where there's a faith get this in our in our christianity today faith without repentance without repentance yet i look at john the baptist and i look at jesus and the very first words out of their mouths when they began their ministry their public ministry was repent for the kingdom of god is at hand the first words out of their mouths they called us to repent to turn away from sin and follow him but we develop a faith today that doesn't require repentance it doesn't have repentance in it therefore it's false faith and we have a faith without surrender. Some of us listened uh, Wednesday night, our men uh, gathered, and we listened to a, an Adrian Rogers video. Y'all know Adrian Rogers. He was a great pastor of a past generation. And he said that he was talking to somebody about, in another country, a believer in another country, about the difference between commitment and surrender. We Americans like the word commitment And we'll say we're committed to the gospel We're committed to serve God But here's the problem with the word commitment I'm still in control You see If I'm committed to you I could decide tomorrow that I'm not committed to you You see If I'm committed to a cause I can get mad at whatever's behind that cause And I can decide I'm no longer committed But if I'm surrendered Then somebody else is in charge You see but we've developed a faith today that doesn't have surrender, it has commitment in it at best. All right? And then we have a faith without obedience. Without obedience. Tonight, as we look at the story of Adoniram Judson, you see the call that was put on his life. And the struggle that he went through as he served God in Burma. And, and the torture that he went through and that his family faced. And the things that they went through we don't know what obedience is today we don't know we don't know you know i i finally came to the conclusion years ago when god called me that i had no other option i <laughs> had no other option i had to do what god was calling me to do and, and there were other things out there that I could have got involved in that I could have done there were other ways that i could have have lived my life other other things that I could have got involved with, other careers that I could have got involved in, but but when I got right down to it, I had no other option. You see, we develop a faith that doesn't require obedience. What's God calling you to do? The next step is your obedience. Once you understand that you've been called to do something, and that applies to every believer, the next step is obedience. And if I'm not, then I'm doing, doing what? I'm disobedient. That's the only other choice, you see but we develop a faith today that doesn't require obedience because it's all here for my comfort. We look in Isaiah 57, uh, 57, end of the book, there's one verse. You know, sometimes when, when you preach or you teach, you usually have a long section of scripture, but sometimes you can nail it down to one verse. And this is one of those times, just this beautiful verse here, when God is speaking to Isaiah, These are the words, now the entire Bible is the word of God, but this is actually the words of God where he's speaking to Isaiah. Isaiah 57, and look with me in verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, and revive the heart of the contrite i looked at that verse and just so much there what's going on is that in the book of isaiah one thing the entire book is doing is responding as the other prophets did to the sin of idolatry in judah among god's people they're idolatrous work Worshipping every kind of false god, I I did a little study while I was preparing this to look at just some of the gods that they worshipped. It's amazing the things that they were involved in and the things that they wanted to call God. You know, and, and I love to read. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. You know, when King Ahab is leading the people to to worship the false god Baal and to to offer sacrifice to him and elijah comes up on mount carmel and that challenge between between them when I, elijah tells the prophets of baal to, to prepare a a a bullock a bull to be sacrificed and put it on an altar and that he would do the same thing and each one would pray to their god and the one that answered by fire that would be god you know the story and the prophets of Baal, Elijah, it's just, it really, it's almost a humorous story, but it's very powerful also. Elijah tells the prophets of Baal, you go first, okay? And they build this altar, and they prepare the bull, and they just, they sing, and they shout, and they pray, and they do everything that you could think of going around that altar, praying that Baal would rain down fire from heaven, and nothing happened nothing happened and elijah starts making fun of them isn't that good elijah starts picking on them and said has he gone on a trip maybe he's on vacation you know he goes on through just various things like this where elijah is just criticizing and making fun of them and nothing happened and finally they gave up elijah just laughing at him you know we need we need to understand that god holds sinful humanity in derision he laughs at us when we do other things apart from his will Elijah's just laughing at him and then Elijah gets his and they got the people that gotten so mad and and so involved in this false worship that they tore down the altar that Elijah built so he rebuilt the altar and he said bring water and pour water all over it. they did that they dug a trench around the altar poured water up bring bring more water do it again Pour it all over the altar. Everything's covered. Third time, bring water. Pour it all over the the bowl and and, and just cover it completely with water. And pour so much water on this sacrifice, this altar, that the trench that Elijah had dug around the altar was full of water. No way this thing's going to burn. Right? And then Elijah prayed. And the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed the altar my goodness you see they had forgotten who God was and Elijah reminded them Elijah reminded them just who God is who we deal with here I look here in in verse 15 just some of the things he says for thus says the one who is high and lifted up that's the same thing that was said in in chapter 6 that Scott read earlier high and lifted up can you imagine what that means I have to ask myself when Isaiah had that experience in chapter six when he said i saw the lord high and lifted up was he in the temple when he saw that perhaps he was outdoors perhaps he just looked up into the sky into heaven in the evening at night and he saw by the grace of god the glory of god high and lifted up the bible said that the train of his robe filled the temple. His glory was everywhere. Isaiah looks up and he sees the glory of God himself in a way that nobody else in scripture sees until John sees it again in the book of Revelation. Very similar vision. Here Isaiah, God is speaking to him and he says, you remember Isaiah when you saw me high and lifted up in chapter 6? Just want to remind you that was me. God is reminding him, I'm the one who is high. You, if you're a believer today, do you remember who it is you believe in? <laughs> you know, when somebody when you have you ever asked somebody, maybe you're trying to witness to them and share to them, and you ask them if they're if they're a believer and they'll tell you, well, I believe in God, maybe you should remind them just what they're saying <laughs> when they say that. They've just said that they believe in the one that Isaiah said is high and lifted up. And I saw his glory. I saw all that. That's the statement that they're making. Are they really meaning that? Folks, I I wanted to spend this year just really focusing on the simplicity of the gospel. But if we don't get the truth that he is high and lifted up, there is no gospel. There is no gospel. Because the good news starts with him. We focus on Him, high and lifted up. And look how else He de- uh, He describes Himself: Who inhabits eternity? Oh my goodness! He He lives in He inhabits eternity itself. He is eternal. There was never a time that He began. He's always existed. I, I really, you can look back through through time all the way to the beginning. And he was there that far back even from that. He was, there's never been a time that God did not exist. And there never will be a time that he does not exist. When this world is a piece of charcoal gone, he'll still be here. He will still exist there'll never be a time and that's such great comfort to the believer isn't it because there's nothing that i can ever face no even age itself and the older i get you know i get up in the morning my back hurts differently than it did yesterday but you know what god's still god god's still god when i went in a hospital two different times having heart surgery god was still god Okay? When I've done funerals I, I've done so many funerals over the years That I can't really tell you how many But when I've done funerals I realize he's still God And I've got a piece that passes understanding Because he's still God When I look at a country That is, is deeply in sin today He's still God And we've still got a gospel And we've still got good news to be declared To a world that, that needs to hear he inhabits eternity. And when you're on your deathbed, if, you, if if Jesus doesn't come back first, when you're on your deathbed about to breathe your last, he'll still be God. He'll still be God and your eternity is secure because of the gospel, right? You don't have to worry. If you believe, if you trusted him, if you trusted by faith that what Jesus did on the cross was good enough to save me, then, hey, he's still God. I'm okay. I'm okay. Not because of me, not because I deserve anything, because I don't, but because he's still God and he keeps his promises and I can stand on the gospel. He inhabits eternity. And then he goes on and he said, whose name is holy. And that's worship. We sang that song, holy, holy, holy. Holy earlier for our off tour hymn I chose that because my, you know I don't know many hymns that, that say it better okay um, there, there was a, a preacher one time R.C. Sproul who died a few years ago great preacher a Presbyterian minister but he wrote a book on the holiness of God and he explained it this way he explained that the number three In in Hebrew, and I don't read Hebrew, but somehow or another the the number three represented a completeness and it represented God. And and he said in this book uh, that he wrote on the holiness of God, he said God is love, God is power, God is eternal. But you don't say love, 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 or power, 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 or anything like that, but he is holy, 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 you see. He's completely holy. Folks, when you pray, remember who you're talking to. You know? When you worship, remember who you worship. When you serve, remember who you're serving. His name is holy. Isaiah, I think in chapter 57, God is reminding Isaiah again when he heard the cherubim sing holy, holy. Holy Lord God Almighty. The same song is sung in the book of Revelation. It's it just holy, holy, holy. And we have forgotten the holiness of God in our sin today. In our sin, we don't even think about the holiness of God. We think about us instead of Him. Folks, if there's ever been a need throughout the history of the church for the church to focus on God and not on self, that is Today. I think the greatest need in America is not a country that does things right, but on a church that focuses on God. That's our greatest need. If I'll focus on him, the one who the Bible says out of his own mouth is holy, holy, holy. I'm not serving the government. I'm not serving an employer. I'm not serving anybody else but God who is eternal and three times holy. And then he says, "I dwell in a high and holy place." Isaiah looked up and he saw the glory of God in heaven. You'd see that. There are others in Scripture that actually describe sea in heaven. Paul described it. John described it. Uh, you know what, Daniel, in the vision that Daniel had of God in heaven, he said that God came and sat on the throne, and he called God. He didn't call him God. He called him the ancient of days. He came and sat on the throne. God said, that's me. I'm the one that lives there. I live in heaven. and the heaven of heavens. And I rule and control this world. And in him we live and move and, and have our being because of who he is. Our heavenly king in the kingdom of heaven. But not, don't stop there. He dwells in heaven, but also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. It's the very next statement. God says, I live in a high and holy place in heaven. But what is a contrite and lowly spirit? The one who is humble and will repent and will admit his sin. That's what that means. He'll repent of his sin, he'll admit his sin, He'll seek forgiveness for his sin, and he'll live in obedience to God. He said, I live with that man, with that woman. I'm right there. Folks, the message of the gospel is not to clean up the mess in the world. This world is going to go away one day. The message of the gospel is to declare that there is hope. I can't fix politics, and I don't to try I feel like that was a lost cause a long time ago. Okay? I can't fix, you know, I can't fix the economy. I've trouble enough on my own. How about you? Right? I I can't fix, uh, I can't fix health crises and other things like that. I can't do any of that. But I'll tell you one thing, I can point you to the one who can. I'll point you to the Savior. I can point point you to the God who is worthy of worship. And when I will come before that God with a contrite, a broken, humble, repentant spirit, he's right there. He won't deal with the proud. No relationship with the proud. But when I'm admitting to him my sin when I'm admitting that I am not worthy of his blessing and I'm worthy of judgment and when I'm seeking his forgiveness and I'm seeking to repent of my sin to turn away from it and back to him he's there he said right there is where I am I've had people say to me well I don't say I I don't feel like I was really saved and the first question I've got is did you repent because if you're still in your sin, you're probably not. Okay, Repent means turn away from and back to God. I live with the, also with him who is of contrite and holy spirit. And then look at the next thing he says, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. In other words, that, that one who is dead in sin, Paul said, I'm going to revive him. Churches don't do revivals anymore. It's kind of sad. Um, Most of the time when churches do revivals, they're not very well attended. And and that's sad. And I'm not saying there's some magic formula in doing a week of church services, but I miss that. Don't you, some of you miss that? You miss revivals, you know? I remember when I was a young man, my best friend back then, the, the Greenville News used to have a religion section in it every Saturday. And uh, they don't do that anymore, I don't think they do, but anyway, I would look in there every Saturday and I would see where revivals or singing was going on. And I'd call them up and I'd say, hey, they're having a revival over at such and such church. I'll pick you up at 5 o'clock. Run by his house, pick him up, and away we go. You know, and, and just miss that. You know, I just missed it. You know why? Look, if you've ever been to a good revival, you know what it's like, okay? You know what a, what a blessing it was to be among God's people Where they're worshiping God They're singing praises to God And then somebody gets up and preaches the word of God What a blessing it was for that And God said here in Isaiah f- Verse 15, chapter 57 He said, I'll revive the spirit of the lowly And I'll revive the heart of the contrite, the repentant I'll revive him, I'll wake you up, I'll give you life again Jesus said No man can see the kingdom of God unless what he has been born again. Give you new life. The Bible says that any man in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, right? The Bible talks about eternal life. You know, the eternal life comes out of death. God God is a master at bringing life out of death, okay? That's what, what the Gospel is. God looked at me, a lost dead sinner, and He gave me life. He revived me and saved me. And I want to encourage you today, the God that you worship, is it the God of the Bible, the God that's described here in this verse? Just in that verse, isn't it? Isn't it somehow you can see one verse in the Bible? You know, again, they had worshiped all of these false gods, this nation, and how did that go for them? Not so well. How about you? In your life today, how's it going for you, whatever you're doing that you're calling God? Is that working for you? Hey, uh, are are you receiving the blessings that I'm talking about? How's that going for you? How is is your life going today? Are you in a catastrophe today like most people are? Jesus said, come unto me, all you the laborer and the heavy laden of I will give you rest, he said. You see, the the message of the gospel, the message of who God is and our relationship to him, and if we'll remember what Isaiah did when he's connecting everything back to God, the message is, if I'll turn to him and I'll repent of my sin and I'll trust him, there's life. And he's made that available through the work, the finished work of his son, Jesus, on the cross. How about you? Where are you today? Are you experiencing life or misery? Are you experiencing the glory of salvation or utter lostness? I'm not saying you're walking around like some kind of clown. I'm saying are you really feeling the glory and the presence of God himself in your life? You know he's there because he said he's there. And even when I don't feel it, I know he's still there. Can you say without any doubt, he saved me and I'm saved today and I'll stand on my salvation and trust in it for his glory. Can you say today, my focus in life is almighty God and what he's called me to do and I'll serve him and I'll go where he's called me to go and I'll do what he's called me to do, whatever it costs. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, dwell in a high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite of the repentant let's pray Our father our god we we read the scripture we see the gospel here the promise of eternal life The promise of salvation, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of of grace that you've given us in your word. If we'll just trust you by faith, believing that, that the work is done on the cross and will depend on you for our salvation, the promise is there that you will. I pray, Father, for those that we know in our families, in our community, those that we meet maybe every day that do not know you, they don't know the gospel, they never heard it. I pray, Father, that you'll help us to faithfully declare it. And I pray, Father, if there's one person here today, they're not living a life of of salvation, a life of of a Christian, a life of a born-again child of God, but they're living a life of misery and and defeat. I pray today that they'll surrender to you, repent of their sin, come by faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.